only bad marketing is overhead. That is a thing that I say to nonprofits all the time. Like, if you don't expect it to create results and you don't measure those results and you don't improve against those results, you get what you pay for. You get what your commitment level and inputs are. Hey everyone, I'm Noah Barnett, the VP of Marketing here at Feather. And today in the studio, I'm joined by Lindsay Lachelle. Hey, Lindsay. Hi, thanks for having me, Noah. Absolutely. Well, we're going to dig into a ton of the background and your consulting on marketing strategy. But before we do, I'd love to know what first brand or marketing campaign made an impression on you. Do you know, I feel like this is such a... Um, such an uncreative answer, but I have a good, I have a good justification for it. So I'm going to give it anyway. And that is the got milk campaign. I actually had several of the posters on my walls, right. Um, in, in my office when I was in college. Um, and the thing that I loved about it was how flexible it was right. You could literally have like just a huge range of, individuals who were there specifically to resonate with a huge range of individuals. Right. And that's the thing that's to me, that's super clever because as you know, like my thing is I'm all about audience. I'm all about who are you for and how are you reaching them? And so when you can craft a campaign that says this, this message, this tagline, this approach is universal, but we're going to use these individuals to try to resonate with that audience. We're going to use these people to try to resonate with that audience. It's just like, it's just, it's just really well-crafted stuff. So I dig it. That's a great one. And I, as soon as you say it, I picture, you know, my exposure to that campaign yeah. uh, as well in my own life, yeah. whether it was in like the school or on the TV or on billboards while we were traveling yeah. down 95. Yeah. It was everywhere. Totally. Totally. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think milk is actually that great for you. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow I mean, they convinced us to buy tons of milk, need, which is insane to think about. And, and <laughs> I mean, we're still very indoctrinated. We're still very indoctrinated. Like I literally, my, my partner grew up in Wisconsin and, uh, you know, he was like telling me yesterday, he's like, I'm, I'm worried that his daughter, I'm worried she's not getting enough milk. And I'm like, where did you get the idea she needs milk? Like she's, a, she's six. She's a person. She can eat, you know, anyway, it, it, it did good work. <laughs> the campaign did its job. <laughs> it did work and it was very memorable yeah. <laughs> for better or worse. Yeah, exactly. It was memorable. Exactly. <laughs> Lindsay, I would love to learn a little bit more about you and just like, your background and how you even got into this purposeful marketing this type thing work. I'm doing. Yeah. 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 It was a journey. This is definitely one, like I have one of those careers that like each thing I did made sense at the time. Right. It was like the next right choice when I was in the moment. Um, but I had no idea what I, what I was doing for a very long time. So, um, like I finished college during the late nineties. So I worked for a bunch of startups, like first wave startups. That was super yeah. fun. Uh, learned a lot about privilege and wealth and that was less fun. And, uh, so then I got all like idealistic and I went back to school and I taught elementary school in like Oakland Unified and then West Contra Costa, which is the same, but like without the brand recognition. And so, um, but 
on brand, like that chewed me up and spit me out too, right? Like my student loans, my like, you know, my single, singlehood meant that I didn't have the like financial or emotional support to be like a really great teacher for any, any length of time. So five years, got recruited back into technology, worked for a serial entrepreneur for like three and a half years, which was unbelievable because I was just, I was his henchwoman. I literally like did everything from like helping him vet the business ideas that we were going to test next to supervising the team that was building those things to doing the UX and the UI design and writing to like hiring the, the editors. Like it was just like all the stuff. It was amazing. That's amazing. Um, what types of, was it, was it in a specific category? It was just like anything that yeah, could make money within the, a certain scope. Yeah. It was the mid aughts. So we were content farmers. Okay. Not not a lot to be proud of there, but um, good good context for learning uh, yeah. like A to B testing and analytics and SEO and you know all those things that would come to be sort of baseline really important to good marketing later on. Yeah. So then I learned what a marketing agency was, and I went to work in a couple of those, and that was super fun. Um, except for the like toxicity and the leadership, it was super fun. Um, and so that's, I realized like agency work is really good for me because it's like challenging. There's a lot of churn. You learn a lot, right? Like that's the kind of stuff that gets me going. And so when I found myself like really, really stuck, like in a, in a place where I couldn't like, wasn't getting any bites on other job applications. I was in a really terrible, um, it was a terrible job for me. Um, and I couldn't really move anything. And so I was just like, eh, I think I'm just going to do this on my own. Like, let's see what happens. So I didn't, didn't really set out in this life to be an entrepreneur. didn't think that's what I was going to be. Um, but I did. And, uh, you know, I, I had no money. I took out like a $7,000 loan secured mm. by my car to oh, make gosh. sure that we would yeah. have a few months worth of rent in the bank. And I went to, there was one client who had traveled, who had followed me from uh, my first agency. I had landed in my first agency and then he had traveled. And I went to him and I said, I'm thinking about going out on my own. And he said, I'll be your first client. And he was my client until the day I fired him because I stopped doing agency services. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm super proud of the agency that I built for me. The purpose was always just about, you know, I mean everybody needs marketing. So it was about if I can do this and clear my conscience at the same time, right. For the work I had done as an SEO or the work <laughs> I had done when I was, um, when I was working in agencies that were working with other brands or organizations, I'm not super proud of, you know, that's what I did. So it was really just about using my powers for good until the pandemic. And I stopped doing agency services at all. Mm. Um, I had this amazing, like just really, really, really such an unbelievable confluence of events. You know, I'm, my team is on PPP. We lost all of our clients, right? We lost 80% of our monthly recurring revenue from between February Ugh. and April. So I had all my, I mean, we were in San Diego, so we had a bunch of hospitality clients. So it was like extra bad. Yeah. So we, so they're all getting paid on PPP loans. I'm collecting unemployment and I'm hustling, right? I'm like trying to get any work in the door and doing everything I can. And the leads I'm talking to, people are saying, um, I don't need somebody to do the work for me. But if you can give me the plan, I can do it. Or I have people who can do it or whatever. And so um, I had this strategic framework that I had developed really very intentionally in order to hold 
my agency accountable to our clients for producing the results that we expected, right? It was very, very intentional because I had seen mm. it's like pretty standard in marketing agencies, right? And unfortunately, even uh, lots of nonprofits too, where it's like, we're just going to put some stuff out there. Hope that works out for you. Good luck, you know? <laughs> and I'm just, I'm not that kind of person. I couldn't feel comfortable with that. So yeah. I built this framework. I, I call that the unreliable magic playbook. It's like, oh, we do ad hoc, random, or nothing and just yeah, yeah. for the best. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll throw some yeah. campaigns out for you. No sweat. So I um so the so I took the framework, I converted it into a consulting model, uh, immediately started selling it. And that's the job I've been doing for the last two years. And it's my dream job. It's really, really, really wonderful. Like all I do now is just Purpose-driven people, purpose-driven organizations make sure their marketing list, their marketing to-do list is as short as possible, right? It's because the things they're doing are only the most effective things for them. That's awesome. Yeah, I've loved the saying that, you know, you know you found great work when you get to choose the problems you work on and get to choose the people you work on those problems with for some sort of purpose you want to work on. And so it's that combination of problems, people, and purpose, and the collision of that equals impactful work. Uh, it yeah, sounds like you absolutely. found that in your consulting. I mean, it was like a this light bulb just like switched on. It was like, oh my gosh, like the the my teaching background is so essential to me being good at my job now. You know what I mean? Like that agency experience is so essential. Like all of these different things really, really contribute, which I had no idea I was putting together that <laughs> kind of expertise. But now that I'm here, it's really, it's awesome. It's really fun. Hey friends, Emily here from Feather, taking a pause from this stripped down conversation to share a quick story. The International Justice Mission, or IJM, is a global nonprofit with a mission to end childhood slavery in our lifetime. Each year end, IJM runs a holiday gift campaign that gives supporters real life stories of the impact a gift can make. But as another year drew to a close and goals got bigger, the IJM team decided to partner with us to level up their digital campaigns. IJM used Feather's nonprofit marketing platform and support from their Feather Copilot to launch multiple campaigns around the web to expand their reach to a larger audience. The result? They brought in $109,500, the highest amount they had ever received through digital ads. By meeting their donors where they were, IJM was able to close out a difficult year with a big win. Feather is trusted by nonprofits of all shapes and wingspans, from the arts to animal welfare and everything in between. Don't rely on magic this year end. Use Feather to streamline your digital marketing campaigns and exceed your goals. Learn more and get started today at feather.co. That's feather without the last e dot co. So I know now I like I'm curious about the framework. So I guess give me like the mm. overview of the framework. You said keep the marketing to do list as short as possible, which I think is a great tag for it. Um, but yeah, unpack that a little bit more, and we'll just kind of roll into it. The whole thing works basically on this premise that you can substitute empathy and strategy for resources, right? So like traditional marketing is very like even traditional digital marketing is just very like scattershot, right? It's like, we're going to put some ads out. Maybe they're targeted by like, whatever, fewer and fewer demographic available, demographic data is even available for that kind of thing, right? But it's just like, and in nonprofits, especially, it's like, oh, we're going to do these things because we have to, right? The ED says we have to send a newsletter. The ED says we have to be on Facebook, whatever it is. But it's so it's time consuming and usually not 
effective. And so the thing that we do in the framework is take a deeper look at your people, like your audiences, right? Your funder audiences, your beneficiary audiences, like whoever, whoever you're working with. And not just understand them in like a traditional marketing persona sort of way, but actually take a step back and look at them on their whole journey. What problems are they trying to solve when they discover you, right? What questions do they have as they're learning about your offering? What are their concerns if they're, if they're planning to engage, right? And so really we go through that exercise like in their own words, right? We use like first person language, like I wonder if sort of questions mm-hmm. and create that kind of inventory that goes all the way through. Um, you know, commitment and, uh, and like referral or recommendation. And then you look at that very thoughtfully and you say, okay, where on the internet, where in their lives, where in their network are they asking these questions? And so it becomes really straightforward and the, the plan really sort of creates itself because you're like, you know exactly what you need to say and where you need to say it because you understand that like they're not asking the questions they ask right before they sign are not the questions they ask the first time they hear your business name. They're totally different. So let's make our marketing reflect that journey in really clever ways. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't have to do anymore because we know it's not answering the right questions in the right time and place. Yeah. I love the connection between marketing is answering questions of your customer at the right oh, time. Marketing is service. Or helping That's them answer their doing. own question. Yep. That's it. Uh, resourcing them. It's it's more about buyer enablement versus That's anything else. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I have one of the one of the metaphors that I come back to over and over again. Um, quick pitch I'll be talking about on the big stage at, at um Cause Camp next year is oh, that's um, so exciting. this idea from a Japanese garden called uh it's Mirekakure is is the Japanese. It means hide and reveal. So like most of the garden the pathways are like really big and broad and geometric and flat. And like, you know, even when it's over water, it's like these big wooden planks or whatever. But then there's like these very specific parts where it's stepping stones and they're rough and they're different elevations. You're usually either going up or going down a hill or around a curve or something. Mm. And it's designed very intentionally to keep your eyes on your feet so that you just have to like focus on walking where you're walking. But when you get to the end there's this huge platform and you stand on it and you lift up your eyes and there's this gorgeous, like intent, very designed, beautiful sort of Vista. And that's how I encourage my clients to think about their marketing touch points where it's like your audience, they're just cruising. They're just putting one foot in front of the other, doing the thing that they, it's trying to satisfy themselves, live their own lives. And the best thing we can do is understand what's important to them at each step of the way and lay those stepping stones strategically for them. So it's very easy for them to follow because we know what came before and we know what's going to come next. And we know how to lead them to the place where they can lift up their eyes and see that we are the solution that we're looking for, you know, that they're looking for. Yeah, it's such a beautiful metaphor. Um, And also, too, for your clients as well, like where it's like, hey, you got to just do the small things before we get to like you know, the oasis or the promised yeah. land or whatever analogy you want, yeah. or the garden vista. Um, it's the foundational things to do that you do that build up the path towards, you know, the end. Yeah. And I'm sure. hearing that more and more, especially in times when people are, you know, there's a looming recession, there's tightening budgets, you know, it's kind of like this, there's always something going on where it's like marketing is being impacted yeah. in some way or another, whether it's real or yeah. not. 
but it's always like marketing, like <laughs> shape up or help us grow or whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah. And those foundational things become more and more key uh, mm -hmm. so often. So I'm curious to you, like for you, like what are the, the non-negotiables that you're seeing organizations focus on in their marketing tactics? You mentioned the mm -hmm. strategy of like, hey, we're focusing mm -hmm. on this, but from a marketing mm -hmm. tactics, what is foundational and fundamental versus what are the things that maybe are popularized or exciting mm -hmm. that you're like, honestly, most could forego or unless you mm -hmm. have the foundations, don't focus on? I just published a course. I'll be happy to share coupon codes with your audience if you want. That is about walking away from social media without sacrificing opportunity. Mm. Because I think all of our social media strategies are stuck in like social media algorithms that are way out of date. And so there's a lot of thing there's a lot of time wasted, I think, trying to keep using those things for something that they used to be for, that they're not for anymore. Um, so I'm like way down on social media. Is it all social media as like a type of channel or is it specific, you know, more of the legacy, you know, Facebooks, et cetera? Um, yeah. Tell, I guess, tell me more about, you said down on so social media is such like, right. it's used so generally. It's like social media. Yes. It's like, what, right. what does that mean when you say it? Okay. So, and that, and that, like, that's part of the problem, right? Is that like the general strategy, the thing that I see, yes, it's, it's most common on Facebook and Insta, Twitter, um, LinkedIn. It's this idea of we're going to put stuff out there and then our audience is going to see it. And then their audience is going to see it and it's going to increase our opportunity. And it's like, my friends, we are in like a five in 10,000 audience organic reach. Like think about what that means. If you have 10,000 followers and you post a post that is like average to the algorithm, five of your 10,000 followers who have opted in will see it. Mm. Like that's nothing. That's nothing. That is not worth your time. And, and, and that's only those five. And then their people will only see it if they engage with it in a super meaningful way, right? They've got to do more than look at it and smile at it in order to like get it to do the thing that you're hoping it'll do. 10 years ago, that's totally what Facebook was for, but that's not where we live anymore. So um, each of these platforms, like obviously there's nuances and there's audiences, but bottom line is if you aren't extra super clear on like, why are you spending your time on this channel? Like, what is its connection to your outcome? Why, mm -hmm. why, like really, really, really tactically, why are you there? If you're there because you feel like you have to be, probably that's not true. That's what I had to say. About yeah. But like really in general, my, I am completely agnostic about channels. Like I don't care. I think only about who are your people where are they when they want to think about your solution? And that could be anything. I am, listen, my business is a B Corp. I am very, very proud of the fact that like I haven't owned a paper printer the entire time I've been an entrepreneur. Like I don't, right? Like I'm like, the world does not need more dead trees, but I will tell my clients if I think a direct mail campaign is a good use of their money because that's not the point. The point is like, you got to find your people. You can't do your work if you don't find your people. Yeah, 100%. I think it's so interesting what you just mentioned about like we, how we interact with with platforms, we yeah. then forget when we become a professional. So it's like, I haven't yeah. been on Instagram or Facebook 
here and there randomly because I had to check something for work or I was checking on something that right. someone sent to me. But outside of that, I haven't gone and like scrolled the platforms in years. And yeah. then outside of LinkedIn, like obviously highly engaged in LinkedIn from a professional yeah, networking same. standpoint yeah. um, and connecting with others. You know, that's how we got connected. But the other ones I don't. But then you come to work and you're like, oh, we should be on Facebook to connect with B2B buyers like me. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> why? Exactly. <laughs> you know? I had a client. Yeah. It's so great because I had a client who, and it's, it is totally my job as a consultant to be, to like remind, one of the things I find my, myself doing all the time is reminding my clients that people don't read. And in order to get them to believe me, I'm like, okay, you right now, think about the last time you were on a social media feed. How many posts did you see? And how many of them can you, can you tell me about? People don't read and they definitely don't remember and they definitely don't memorize. So like we can just let all that stuff go. Um, and that informs like, obviously a lot of my strategy when it comes to like, we still write things. So like, why, what are you writing if you're not, if nobody reads it? And that, that's like an, another thing. But I had this, I had this client that is, um, they're an education software, right? This like test prep and stuff like that in a very, very specific industry. And their benefit corporation, thrilled to work with them, really clever people. And they're trying to sell to college kids, right? Because they've got, they're like career prep licensing tests. Mm-hmm. The CEO, we're like, Going through this exercise where we've got their the audience journeys and now we're looking at the channel strategy to match. And they've been sending these email newsletters for years. And I'm like, to college kids? Like they don't read their email. They never read their email. Like this is a well-known thing. You guys got to be on SMS. You got to trade that in. Just scrap your email strategy. Switch it to an SMS strategy. Like what's in, what's involved in that? Let's talk about it. Like hammer it out, right? And the next day, the CEO was like, I could not sleep last night because I felt like such an idiot. I have a college-age daughter. I know she doesn't read her email. And here I am leading this organization in creating email newsletters, trying to reach her. Like, there is just something about it that we have like out-of-body experiences when we're creating marketing experience, you know, when we're creating marketing strategies, we just totally forget that we are human. <laughs> we can see the way the world works. Yeah, or there's real humans that are customers. They're not just rows and yeah. columns on a spreadsheet or yeah. you know, numbers in the database or CRM. Uh, or opportunities that are just like dying to hear from us, right? Like, they, don't care. <laughs> yeah. they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. It's like no one cares <laughs> if you stop no. sending that email. Even the people that I'm do sorry. care probably don't care enough. I think there's there's like uh, there's the question you're supposed to ask users um, in product, which is like uh, ask a ask your users what they would do if you went out of business tomorrow, and if they yeah. aren't miserably disappointed and frustrated, yeah. and they have no they can't they don't know what to do. You probably don't have as strong product market fit as you think you do. Yeah. Uh, if it's great. like, oh, shoot, I would advice. have to like do something else yeah, or I'd have to go back to spreadsheets or, oh man, I'd, I don't know, I'd look somewhere else or whatever, then you probably, yeah. you just don't have strong enough product market fit and or brand love or loyalty that you think you do. That's the, and so it's yeah, like one of those humbling questions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's really interesting because that is, in fact, the thing that I prioritize. Like right after I tell my clients that people don't read the next thing we talk about is like, so that's why it's not the numbers in your case study. It's not what you say. 
it's like that Maya Angelou quote, right? People don't remember what, what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. That's what your marketing does. That's it. That's the job is like make them feel the way you want them to feel. And they'll remember that and they'll associate that with your brand. That's all your marketing has to do. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the importance of understanding your audience, like identifying who they are and then understanding mm -hmm. them. What are some practical tips someone can take even tomorrow that they could do to better understand their audience in the way that you're mm -hmm. describing? Because sometimes it's like, oh, I get you. I totally understand Lindsay, Noah. You guys yeah. are awesome. I we should understand our customer. Yeah. And then you go back and you sit in a board meeting or a Zoom totally. call with your colleagues <laughs> we, and you're we like, our customers. we yeah. understand our customer. And it's like, blah, 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 email newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what do we do now? So like, give us okay. like the two or three practical, like how can I right. this week, this month, this year, better understand my customer? That process that I described is really accessible, right? Like actually put yourself through those paces. Like, okay. Who is my customer? What like they have taken no steps to solve this problem, right? Whatever my offering is, they've done nothing. What do they think about their problem? What are they? How are they? How do they understand it? What are the words they use? Not your words. Like this is another fight I have with my clients all the time. I don't care if it's technically if your marketing content is technically accurate. Neither do your clients, right? They understand the thing the way they the way they understand it. It's and better so to be need true to than accurate. Their words. It is. <laughs> has to be true. I mean, it has to be understood, right? Like that's the, that's the point. And so, um, so you can actually put yourself through that, right? What are the questions they're asking themselves? Who are they? What are the questions when they come to my website? What questions are they trying to answer? What are they looking for? Where can I meet their, you know, so if you go through that whole process all the way, like I said, through what, not the funnel, the flywheel, right? The, all the way through the part where they, commit and are thrilled and are so excited to bring more people into your opportunity set, more people into your community. The whole time they're having real questions, real concerns, right? And if you're in any kind of like B2B situation, you know what those are because your clients are giving them to you while you're in the sales process. They just ask you those questions straight up, right? Um, so what I, what I coach my clients in is like, we do that exercise. And then if they feel like it's a new audience or there's some reason why they don't feel great about it. Take that to get it validated by an actual persona represent representative. Because what happens is giving them something to respond to instead of asking them what they want, right? Like we love that. I love this quote that's like misattributed to Henry Ford, right? Where he's like, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse instead of the car that he invented. People don't know what they want. That's not the way to ask them, right? The way to ask them is to give them something to respond to. So I, when I need it to validate that journey, I write the journey and then I put it in front of someone and I say, I was trying to capture what I think is very important to you about this. Where, where have I hit it and where have I missed? And like, let's, let's refine it that way. Um, but unless you are brand new pre-product, no idea who your people are. I mean, if you if you don't have anything, if you don't know who your people are. So you really should have some basis for doing that. But it's really, it's, I mean, for me, it was kind of like a, I don't know, it's like a checklist exercise, right? It's like, we need to make sure that we understand who these people are and what they care about so that our marketing can hit the mark. I don't know how so much marketing gets done without that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, the importance of audience, like that, that is what yeah. marketing is. It's, yeah. as we mentioned at the top of the call, like, it's you're helping your customers buy your product. That's right. That's right. 
that's marketing. Yeah. I am yeah, curious sure. to know what you see in marketing outside of what you've already shared mm. that baffles you that it's still happening or things that are <laughs> people are doing maybe as best practices or mm -hmm. they're incorporating in their marketing strategies in 2022 and it's incorrect, ill-advised, not the right direction. I have three things actually now I've already, the list is just getting longer. So I'll give you one super tactical example. If I could wave a magic wand and have every nonprofit that right now is operating on a marketing strategy that involves them sending one newsletter on an irregular basis to all of their audiences, that needs to stop. That is a huge waste of time because all you are doing is guaranteeing that the few people who do open it because they don't anticipate it get an unbelievably watered down and mostly irrelevant piece of information in their inbox. How disrespectful is that? How wasteful is that? Like that, I'm sorry, knock it off. You are better off not talking, not sending emails to a whole bunch of your audiences figuring out which one audience is going to respond best to that medium on the cadence that you can support it and doing just that. Like it's dilute your message. All that does is confuse your audiences, right? It's like, okay. So stop writing to everyone and stop, stop being writing to everyone and sending it just so you can say you did it. Yeah. And that's the second thing is consistency is more important than quality. Uh, and see also every single one of your junior high school friends like this, like consistency is more important than quality. People can be real assholes, but if you know how to anticipate what kind of an asshole they are, you'll be friends with them. Right. It's like when somebody is completely unhinged, unpredictable, that's when we feel as humans that we need to protect ourselves and keep our, keep our distance as brands. Mm. All we're doing is losing trust. All we're doing is losing trust, missing opportunities to build trust by showing up consistently, being who we who we say that we are, diluting your message, being inconsistent in your scheduling and your timing. And the third one is not looking at data. Why would you put anything out into the world without <laughs> wanting to know how it performs? Like every time. If you can make it better next time, why wouldn't you try to learn that? Why do you think people don't do that? Because I, I think this is something that's, there's a bunch of things that are well socialized in marketing yeah. that we, we and I'll count myself in this, yeah. continually ne like ignore. Yeah. Like we'll socialize it. Yeah. We'll hear it on podcasts. We'll kick ass about it yeah. and like rock out. Like, yeah, I'm on that train. Yeah. And then we go execute and we don't do it. Yeah. And data being one, like learning, testing, experimenting, yeah. getting better over time. Why don't we do it? I suspect it has a lot to do with the generally under-resourced state of nonprofit marketing mm. where it's so easy to misapply value, right? Because it's like the it, somebody who doesn't know any better would absolutely say, hey, if we can send two email newsletters versus one newsletter and one report, Right. They're gonna send. They're gonna feel like just for some reason in in our like human contact brains that like more messaging is better than being intentional, seeing if it worked, being intentional, making it better, 
right? I don't know why that's true. I don't know why incremental improvement is mm. not part of the culture, especially especially in nonprofit programs. Like at, you guys are asked to prove so much impacts in so many ridiculous and, and really burdensome ways. Like I want to be clear about that. I think that was that was going to be one of my comments yeah. is like you don't know what you're looking for yeah. in the data. Yeah. Not that you're trying to find confirmation bias or doing that. That's a separate topic. But like you don't know what and you're optimizing for right. because my first point was I see a lack of accountability or aligned accountability mm-hmm. or even aligned incentives mm-hmm. like progressive betterment or playing offense, as I like to call yeah. it, is not in directly incentivized as much mm-hmm. in the nonprofit space for as sure. it is in other industries. Sure. Even my own role, like if our marketing gets better at Feather, I am directly impacted by that. Yeah both from a career progression and a compensation perspective. That's not always the same. And so defense is almost incentivized more, which is like, I got it done. It didn't go poorly. Yep. And we can just keep moving forward. And everyone seems generally happy about what we produced. And the results are the results type thing. Yeah. Um, So that lack of or the misaligned incentives mm-hmm. or accountability structure and then incentives fo- following that yeah. is something I definitely see. But that's such a system or systemic, like systematic issue that's hard to hard to address at scale. Mm-hmm. But I do think as individual leaders, those listening to this, you know, program right now, like you're thinking, I, I don't think I don't know why you would listen to this if you weren't someone that wanted to get better at marketing, we're not that entertaining. Right. <laughs> and so I don't think everyone's listening. <laughs> like, this I don't think someone's really like, man, this is super stuff, fun. <laughs> listen, smart list. I, if that's all you're looking for, just go listen to smart list yeah. or any of the other comedy podcasts <laughs> like on the internet right now. But I assume you're here to get better, to improve. And so I think it starts with each of us, mm-hmm. like going back and even myself being reflecting on this conversation saying like, how do we implement more customer alignment, mm-hmm more commitment to data, higher willingness to like stop doing things that don't make sense, even if everyone else is doing them. Uh, And being okay, being like, yeah, we actually don't do Facebook because it doesn't align with us. Or yeah, I heard about TikTok or whatever, but like, that's just not our thing. Like we don't really, we don't really care. Or it's not our message. Yeah, it might be. Or it's, yeah, the the message or the medium that we're trying to communicate isn't product channel fit doesn't work. Like what we're selling doesn't fit within the channel. Like, or how someone consumes the channel doesn't fit with our products. That's so it's right. just like, I'm not going to sell maybe enterprise software oh through gosh. TikTok. There's probably ways to do it. And I know someone maybe is trying to do it, but like, yeah, the, it just uh, maybe doesn't fit. It's not uh, what we call low which is really where most nonprofits <laughs> need to focus. Right. And that's like I, the yeah. thing that I always say is like, I wish I had grabbed a screenshot of this. Don't try to sell me jewelry on LinkedIn. That's a terrible mm. idea. Like, I totally understand. You're like, here is a, you know, middle-aged professional woman, she wears jewelry. So I'm going to go target her based on that on LinkedIn. But like, that's not what I'm there for. GTFO, get like that. You don't belong in my feed. (laughs) So lame. Anyway. Yeah. Well, we've talked about some of the challenges. Uh, We've, we've dropped some insights. Like, who do you look out and see doing marketing well, Mm. especially in the purposeful, you know, arena, those that are trying to do good, better in the world, who's doing marketing well that our listeners can go learn from, Mm. even just by through observation? Yeah, you know, for a a very long time, when I when I was running my agency, Diamond and Branch, um, citizen agency, 
was the I don't know if you if you follow them, but to me that was that was the goal of what I wanted our marketing to be because it was very clear, it was very generous, it was very well designed. You know, it was like they really um, it was it was thoughtful. There wasn't anything really bonkers about it. Right. There wasn't, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't, but they, they are an agency that serves nonprofits and they know their people and um, their approach was really just very clear and consistent. And I always really appreciated it. Any nonprofits that you follow or engaged with that you think are just doing good quality marketing? This is, that's a little trickier. You know, like kind of like asking me to pick my favorite kid. Like I don't, I We could we could talk about that too. You know, people are only here to be entertained. They're not here to be educated. So you right, know, you right. might as well. <laughs> or we could pick like a group, a character. Be you know, maybe it's Game of Thrones, and we can you know just vote off who we don't like yeah. or whatever show we want to talk about. Perfect. Uh, no, but good quality marketing. Pick a child or maybe two that you appreciate what they're doing and or how they're approaching it. So there's a couple of organizations that I have worked with. I'm really really proud of. Business for Good San Diego is one of them. So this is an advocacy organization that is, um, they're basically like the anti-chamber of commerce. So they, instead of being a large organization that is very expensive and elitist and has conservative values, it has a bunch of local business owners with progressive values and they pool their resources and advocate for progressive local legislator like um we were the only business group to support a styrofoam ban in San Diego, stuff like that. And there, I'm very proud. I use a lot of their marketing strategy assets in my curriculum. Um, and uh, they're killing it. Their membership is growing hand over fist. And I'm super proud of them. Hey, I'm William Henry. I'm the content marketing manager here at Feather. And I'm here to tell you about an amazing resource we have available for those of you doing purposeful marketing the in-flight briefing. Every Tuesday, we'll send to your inbox the essential bite-sized information you need to take your marketing strategy from sputtering along to soaring. We think doing purposeful marketing is fun. So even though we'll be sharing a lot of new ideas and linking out to some thought-provoking content, we're gonna make this briefing feel like the most important part of the flight, the snacks. We know you have many options when you fly, so we hope you'll consider joining us in the air. Subscribe today at feather.co slash in-flight. That's feather without the E, co slash inflate. Well, Lindsay, this has been super great. I'd love to do a lightning round of questions with you. Okay. If you're open for it. Sure. Let's do it. So what book on or relating to marketing do you wish you read earlier in your career? <gasps> Ooh, I wish I had found Dan Pink earlier in my career. I don't know what book would have been available to me at the time that I need it. But his last several books, I have read the second they become available. And I am never sorry for giving him a minute of my time. And whether or not he's writing about marketing, it is super relevant to marketing all the time. Yeah, a lot of times he's referring to like behavioral psychology or like the the, the way humans make decisions yeah. or think about decision making, which is exactly yeah. what we as marketers yeah. do. That's what yeah. we just spent 30 minutes talking about yeah. uh, together. Yeah, exactly. So that's a great one. Yeah, I love I love his stuff. Yeah, it's not never never would be sold as marketing books, but they're great marketing marketing books. So question number 2 in the lightning round is what is your go-to marketing axiom? Probably depends on your audience. That is the thing I always say. People are like, what about this channel or what about this, and you know, this strategy, whatever the answer is always it depends on your audience. 
Um, but the runner up is definitely people don't read. <laughs> it depends on your audience and people don't read. I like people don't read. And also people don't read. Yeah. yeah. I want to start a, we should start a nonprofit that's just like people don't read.org. Yeah. And it's not a group that advocates <laughs> against teaching people how to read no. because that's rude, but rather just acknowledging that even though we have agency to read, we choose not to. That's right. Uh, and that's just a fact. Yeah. We want to amplify that. We would have the coolest swag like people don't read swag like totally. it would be great it'd be great <laughs> wow that is totally... we can't get through a marketing conversation without talking about swag I know. because we get criticized for doing arts too. and crafts I and i feel that. like swag falls in there but it's like swag kicks ass a lot of times swag helps create like energy and a symbol to unify a movement of people like oh look gosh. at what patagonia does they yeah. put a patagonia logo on things and they have a high quality company but it's like i wear that and i'm like i have i have this badge check me out you know? yeah, like it's like sure. adult adult girl scouts you know or boy scouts oh, yeah. or whatever it's like i got my badge on totally. you know and it's our brands and it means something so swag I'm an advocate for swag. Oh, I yeah. love that. I mean, I also really love the irony of a t-shirt that people will read that says people don't read like that. That just gets better and better. Nobody is allowed to do this now. Everybody who's listening to this, this belongs to us. We have to go buy people don't read.org really I quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I think it depends.org would be a great website too. Yeah. Just with all these questions people yeah. ask, like, what about this? What about this? And it's just like the answer is always, it depends. Yeah, it might be a great idea. It might be a terrible idea. We don't know. It depends on your resources and your audiences. Number three question in the lightning round, which is what three songs could you not live without? Mm, I'm glad I thought about this one ahead of time because it would take me forever to come up with these. So it's pretty eclectic in order of adoption. It would be Cindy Lauper, True Colors, um, Beyonce, Freedom. And fish, slave to the traffic light. It is eclectic. Yes, <laughs> that's a great mix, though. <laughs> Thank you. We'll They're add those really to the library for sure. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned eclectic. Obviously, that's a word that you know you could jump to. But what else does it tell you? Uh, uh, tell us about you with that mix of songs. Mm, I think authenticity resonates with me. I think that's the that's really because that's that's really kind of what. I mean, that's a, a, those songs are either. I mean, the Cindy Lauper song is like very on the nose, but the but the other two also are very. Um, they have they have some some real meaning behind them, um, and re, and actual like interesting like musical depth and you know it does all the things. Yeah, and it goes back. I think you kind of showcase some of that and how you talk about marketing mm -hmm. and advise people too. So authenticity, I love that. Thanks. Last but not least, um, we love to get recommendations from our guests on who's blazing new trails mm -hmm. in nonprofit marketing mm -hmm. and who you would like to see on and in the studio in the future. Yes. So there is a marketer in San Diego. Um, her name is Allie Senturk. Um, and she and a partner have started a podcast. So she works for Coastkeeper, which is excellent. She's she's marketing at Coastkeeper, which is rad. Um, but she and her partner started a podcast called Philanthrope. And they're really, really great interviews with not specifically nonprofit people, but purpose-driven people. Um, and so she has, she has a lot of uh, really, really great content there. And she's just a really thoughtful, interesting marketer. Well, I'm definitely going to go check that out. I'm an avid podcast listener. Cool. Uh, and I know our, our audience is because they're listening to this most likely in some sort of podcast stream. Cool. So that's a great one. Allie will uh, definitely reach out. 
It's like the definition of marketing coming in yeah. is going to probably shape your success or failure as a marketer more than anything else. For sure. Like how the organization views marketing. For sure. Which is why you should spend so much time up front being like, yeah. what is marketing to you? Yeah. Like in detail, because I'm not going to take this job unless you explain in detail exactly. what marketing is to me. Exactly. And I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> or I at least like respect your position on it and acknowledge the environment I'm walking into. Right, right. And that's that's actually like the huge benefit of my framework in those contexts, because we proactively build consensus around Mm. who are we talking to, what channels are we using to reach them, and what are our anticipated outcomes of those efforts. And so when you can do all that stuff ahead of time, it makes then the accountability for who's in charge of what gets really clear. The We can stop with the back and forth between the programs and the comms and this Mm -hmm. false, weird setup that says that consensus building is a good way to write marketing copy. Like... You know, like all those things need to stop. Yeah. And they're so deeply entrenched in the way nonprofits do their stuff. Yeah. 